a special edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Our next interview with a Republican candidate for governor in Kentucky, Kelly Kraft, former ambassador to the United Nations, former ambassador to Canada, one of the biggest names in Republican politics in the country, joins us now. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to Flyover Country. Scott Jennings here and in the studio with us today, the former ambassador to the United Nations, the former ambassador to Canada, longtime uh, tier one Republican uh, operator, Kelly Kraft of Lexington, Kentucky, joins us on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott, for being here. Yep, we're glad you're here, and uh, we are uh, in the middle of interviewing candidates for governor of Kentucky. That's the reason you're here today. You are one of the uh, top-performing Republicans right now in this uh, upcoming May primary. The race has gotten uh, quite a bit amplified lately. Uh, A lot of it is because of you. Uh, You have been dominating uh, the conversation in the campaign so far via your ad campaign. We're going to talk about some of the topics you've brought up. But first, just off the top, I'd like people to know who is Kelly Craft and why is she running for governor? Well, Kelly Craft was born in Kentucky. I was raised in Kentucky. Actually, I was raised around the most important piece of furniture in my family's home, the kitchen table. And it was at that kitchen table where I learned Kentucky values, the values of hard work, my faith in God, and doing right by my neighbor. And it was those values. And then, of course, I went to Kentucky public schools and graduated from the University of Kentucky, raised my my girls in Kentucky, and there's no better place than being home in Kentucky. And why am I running? I see a job that needs to be done. I've been traveling the state of Kentucky on a kitchen table tour because I feel very strongly that when you sit down at people's tables, so that's where it all happens in your family. Scott, I know you know Mm -hmm. that with your four boys. You talk about everything. That's where you balance your checkbook. That's where you make tough decisions. That's where you celebrate birthdays. That's where you have really important family discussions. It might be where you actually have to ground your oldest child. (laughs) You know, you never know, right? We've we've all been there. (laughs) Exactly. You never know what happens at the family table. So it's it's a time of celebration. It's a time of everything. And I felt like if, if you can sit at someone's table and you just, just set that visually, set that scene, it's amazing what you learn. But when you listen, only can you learn, and then only can you ask the right questions. And Kentuckians know if you've not listened, because it's what you respond with is how they say, oh, wow, she heard me. I see a job that needs to be done. I'm a results-driven leader, as, as you have just Mm-hmm. pointed out that I served as the first female ambassador to Canada, hopefully not the last female, Right. where I negotiated the largest trade deal in America, United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. So President Trump ran on, we're going to tear up the NAFTA deal, which we did, and we negotiated, which what's important is we were able to not only keep hundreds of thousands of jobs in America, but we created hundreds of thousands of jobs to prevent them from going to China and to Mexico. But I was able to make certain that we brought thousands of jobs to the state of Kentucky, jobs in our farming industry, our coal industry, our manufacturing. Matter of fact, 
after we would have, you know, our negotiations in Washington, we would frequently go to the Oval Office, the private Oval Office. Just it would be Ambassador Lighthizer, myself and Jared Kirshner, Mm -hmm. because we would want that day to discuss with the president the agenda. What were the chapters that were important? Because he knew every chapter of the agreement. And he would, almost every time I would be exiting his office, he would say, Kelly. And I would say, yes, sir. Don't forget the farmers. Don't forget the coal miners. Because he knew the importance of the working people in America. And he wanted to make certain that we kept our jobs at home and that we created job opportunities for Americans. And I see that I know I can do that. Because as a family, we have created thousands of jobs ourselves in the coal industry. And then, of course, President Trump sent me to the United Nations after our mutual friend, Ambassador Nikki Haley, resigned, mm-hmm. who's now running for president. Yep. Um, and that's where I sat across another table. You know, you think about that. Negotiations have always happened at tables. So I sat across another table, and we, and we negotiated what I believe he should receive the Nobel Peace Prize for, the Abraham Accords. Right which were, you know, speaking to countries in the Middle East and and really stressing the importance of normalization with Israel because Israel is one of our closest allies. And that's where I discovered where the Chinese Communist Party stealing all of our intellectual property. And, you know, we talked about this during the Trump campaign. He ran on that. He ran on China. The Chinese Communist Party, are the human rights abuses... They're human trafficking. They're purchasing Kentucky farmland. Yeah. They're purchasing land around military bases. Their treatment of the Uyghurs, which we were able to, Secretary Pompeo and I, that last week, designate that as a genocide, which was vitally important to be able to stand up and give voice to the Uyghurs. And I discovered TikTok. Right. Which, by the way, I called Governor Bashir on it. It took him about a month or two, but he finally, finally agreed, and we no longer can have TikTok in our government devices. Right. Do you think mm-hmm. it should be banned nas- nationwide for everybody? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's in our home right now anyway, right? Because every time one of our children swipe on TikTok, the Chinese Communist Party are following that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's living with us as it is. Your, your, your issues with China, by the way, I just want to make sure our listeners understand they're not huge fans of yours. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tell us what happened about well, that. Well, I will tell you, and, and you know, and I, I discovered that the fentanyl. So we we knew that the drugs were coming from China, the chemicals that make the drugs, and then they were sending them into to Vancouver, into Canada. And you remember all that scandal. So Senator Rob Portman and myself worked on a piece of legislation which allowed the U.S. government and the Canadian government to be able to look into the parcels that were coming in randomly coming in from China. So what do they do? The Chinese Communist Party then starts sending everything through Mexico, where Mexico is now producing the largest amount of fentanyl. So because I stood up to them, and I stood up to them in every broadcast, every news article, every conversation in the Security Council, my last hour on the job, I was sanctioned for the rest of my life from the Chinese, from China, and by functionally, the Chinese Communist Party. What does that mean for you, functionally? Like, if you travel internationally, I assume 
You're not, you're not doing any layovers a, in Shanghai. They will not be, you know, <laughs> there'll be no love love fest, you know, welcome Kelly Craft to right. China or Hong Kong or Mackay for that matter. But it's a it's a badge of honor and it's not a token because it's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's real what they're doing to our country. I mean, how else you, you send COVID into our countries, you cause shutdowns in our state and other states. You look at what they the consequences of this, they knew damaged our children it's damaged our workforce it's damaged our education and then the fentanyl so they understand they're thinking long term they're thinking the long game yeah let me ask you about you've described your role as un ambassador you've described some of the work you did as ambassador at canada these are appointed positions and you were confirmed by the United States Senate, so well, that was tough. A, sm- <laughs> yeah, a, a, a small bit of electoral politics there, right. but now you've chosen to make the jump to electoral politics, full blown, asking the people of Kentucky to vote for you. I was wondering if you could sort of take us inside your thought process on that. Were you nervous about the idea of moving from appointed politics to elective politics, and and has the campaign trail have you found it as you thought you would? Well, actually, you know. I kind of watched before I made the decision. I mean, you, you and I have many conversations. And I just didn't see an individual that it actually that could get the job done because we're at a pivotal moment in the state of Kentucky. And I don't know, and I'm, I'm certain you understand what matters, what happens right now. It has to happen now because we're going to be receiving trillions of dollars, right, from our infrastructure from the CHIPS Act, Mm -hmm. from the Inflation Reduction Act. So we're going to have to be ready as a state to have a ready workforce, to have low-cost utilities, to be able to really, it's going to take a lot of electricity when you attract new industries. And with all of this money coming into the United States, and Kentucky's going to get its fair share, we need to be ready. So how are we ready? We've got to build up our workforce. We must take over this education of our children because we have to have graduates from high school that are career ready to be able to fulfill these incredible opportunities that are going to come our way. And we have to make certain that we provide all of the opportunities that Kentucky has to attract industry. I've got the Rolodex. I negotiated the largest trade deal. I've, I know most of the heads of state all over the world, and I know how a bilateral and a multilateral trade deal works. Most importantly, I know what not to bring into the state of Kentucky. Let, let me ask you about the the economic development piece. Mm-hmm. This has been one of your, your calling cards on the campaign trail, but I suspect it's going to be the centerpiece, or one of them, of Andy Bashir's campaign for re-election. He's going to argue that he was able to get Ford to come here and do more and other manufacturing, and that, that he's got that piece of the job as governor as moving in the right direction. And he'll probably argue that he's worked with the Republicans in the legislature to do that. But you wouldn't be running for governor if you thought Andy Bashir was handling this appropriately. So make the case, why would Kraft be better than Bashir specifically on the economy? Well, you know, when you set the bar low, sure, the economy is going to be on fire, <laughs> right? I'm going to set the bar high. I'm tired of losing jobs. We're sandwiched in between Indiana and Tennessee. So when you think about that, what do they have that's attracting jobs over our state? Well, they have a workforce. They have one state, Indiana, has a very low individual income tax rate. 
Tennessee has a zero. We have to compete with the other states. It's not enough for us to win on the basketball court and the football field. I'm going to introduce a third new sport into the Southern Eastern Conference. It's going to be called the economy. (laughs) And I'm going to set that bar high and we're going to win. And how are we going to do that? You need a governor who understands how to create jobs. I want to bring Jared Crawford and Kevin Grout into the conversation. Jared, go ahead. Yeah, you just mentioned the word compete. Competitiveness, Mm -hmm. I think, is a a huge thing, whether it be, uh, you know, in recruiting talent to some of our best schools or Mm -hmm. recruiting major jobs uh, to Kentucky that's competing with our neighbors and competing with with other countries. You know, to Scott's point, Bashir has taken this position that things are sort of good right now. And I think a lot of Republicans say, well, workforce participation is very low. I'm about to ask you about education. The scores in our schools are Mm -hmm. far too low. Mm Our college graduation rates are probably too low. You've taken on uh, education as a huge part of this, too, and I think a lot of people see that as the as the sort of building blocks of everything. It's going to take a long time. Uh, you've had some bold ideas around education and improving our workforce to then have this sort of growth where, where Kentucky can compete both regionally and then you know internationally. Um, Andy Bashir and Jason Glass have a very different view of, of how an <laughs> sure education system should work. So, so for you, let's talk about dismantling, mm-hmm. you know, this education system and then sort of rebuilding it. What, okay. what to you does that look like to build that workforce of the future? What matters most in our kids? Can you all tell me what matters most than well, our than our kids? You have four kids. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what matters most to me, and I think to most people, is that will they have more opportunities than I did? Right. And and how do you get them there? Right. And you know, to to Jared's point, I, I think this is where the the schools, especially in Louisville, have mm-hmm. are failing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the scores; they can't read, they can't do math at grade right. level. It's pretty pathetic. Well, my first official act will be to dismantle the Kentucky Department of Education mm-hmm. because we have to have parents empowered. Parents need to have the right to be involved in their child's education. And children need to have the right to have their parents involved in their education. And, you know, there are really good people in the Kentucky Department of Education. They've just been silenced. They've been silenced by this woke education commissioner, Glass. And on election night or the the morning after, I'll give him to the morning after, I will say (laughs) that. If he's going to do the right thing, he's going to resign. So it's a day two priority. This is is like election Midnight. Yeah, but the way he to needs get to but resign. The, but the way to get rid of him, if you win, I'm going to fire him. Is is can you fire him, or do you yes, have to I fire can. the board? No, I'm going to fire the governor. Appoints the commissioner. He is then approved by the Senate, confirmed by the Senate. I will fire him because I'm going to do the right thing. Because I'm going to show you something. Now I can't read this because it's FCC mm-hmm. violation. Mm-hmm. This is what is in our schools on audio in the Woodford County School Library. This is recommended for 14 and above. Yeah. Do you can, want your boys reading this? Can you read the title and the ex- title explain is, what we're looking at? The title is All Boys Aren't Blue. I can't read to you what's in here because it's a violation. This has to stop. This is evil. When you're out campaigning, is this one of the top things you're hearing from Republican voters is they want these schools fixed and they want issues like this taken care of immediately? Absolutely. Parents are so concerned 
they're so concerned that their children are not going to have the skills and the knowledge to compete, to reach their full potential. I mean, they're concerned about not only the skills and knowledge, but every child, even a child, my two girls, both of them learned differently. Every child learns differently, but they have one thing in common. They all dream. Mm -hmm. So how do we make certain that they fulfill their dreams, whether it's vouchers, whether it's traditional school, whether it is a charter school, which is a form of traditional school, whether it's private schools, whatever it may be, I want our children to have that pathway for learning. So you count yourself as a full supporter of school choice. Absolutely, absolutely. And then let's take this a little bit further. You know, you think about parents being concerned about their child's education. So you're thinking about kindergarten through 12, right? Mm -hmm. So I I had a parent come to one of my kitchen table meetings, and he brought with him a picture of his son's exam in the communications class at Somerset Community College. And one of the questions on that exam, and I, I have it with me, were, do you believe there are two genders? And so his son carefully filled in with his number two pencil, the little circle, yes. Got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as governor, we need to take a deep dive. We all, Kentuckians deserve to know that our public education dollars that are even spent in our universities, we need to take a deep dive into the Board of Regents and Board of Trustees. We need to take a deep dive into our school boards. Let's see where their resources are being spent because it's our taxpaying dollars. Yeah. So I'm hearing this every single day. I have stories of parents. I have a kindergarten teacher I just met with. Her children, half of the kids in the class, now I want you to visualize five-year-olds, are coming in and they're sleeping half the day. She has a handful like, well, do you let them sleep? She goes, of course I do, because I know their home situation. Mm. Well, teachers have a passion to teach. We owe it to the teachers to teach the students to have a phenomenal quality education and parents to have the right to be involved in their education. And, you know, after I dismantle, I think what I'm thinking about doing is just throwing those doors open at the Capitol and having a thousand of these parents, I've got names of people I've met with, just having a big, just a big town hall meeting, but you know, like a massive town yeah. hall meeting. What do you think? Kevin Grout. Yeah, I, I think that would be a really interesting idea. Uh, so to change topics a little bit, as mm-hmm. we sit here today on Monday, we're 29 days away from mm-hmm. the primary. It's a, a raucous primary, as you know better than me. Uh, I think we're going to want to talk about the ads and the spending and everything, but there's one big difference between you and the other candidates, and that's you've named a lieutenant governor candidate. Mm -hmm. No one else has. You didn't have to, uh, but you did. And I'd like to know um, what brought you to that decision. Why did you choose who you did? And can you tell us a little about him? Well, you know, his name is Max Wise. He's he's a senator. Um, He's from Taylor County. Mm -hmm. He's from a county. I'm from Barron County. His wife's from Barron County. My husband's from Perry County. We're not going to forget our counties. Mm -hmm. We've never forgotten where we come from. And Max is a results-driven leader. He stands firm on his foundation. He does not waver, and you all know that. Mm-hmm. You know that by Senate Bill 150. You know that by his stance on his stance on gaming, on medicinal marijuana. I was looking for someone who was a results-driven leader, who is a family man, a man of faith, who has 
an incredible respect from people mm-hmm. and somebody who can sit across the table and work with our legislators and elected officials. He has such respect from them because even if they disagree, they respect the fact that he has stood firm on what he believes in. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, he will be an incredible partner in helping me raise that bar high for Kentucky, make certain that our children meet their full potential and that we get drugs out of this state. Do you know, I mean, are you aware of Max and his wife's siblings? Do you all know? No. No. no, no. Well, his wife, Heather, who is a fantastic pediatric, pediatric dentist in, in Campbellsville, her brother and sister both died of overdoses as adults. Wow. So you talk about a family that understands the need to stop the drugs from coming across Kentucky's border. That's why I chose Max Wise, because he is a results-driven leader, a man of God. He stands firm in what he believes in. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that he will be a phenomenal partner with me in Frankfurt. Let's talk about um, one of the ads you've run that has generated potentially the most attention, at least until the, the ad you've, you've most recently put up on education, which uh, was a, a very highly produced ad about <laughs> the uh, education issues we were just discussing. But the first one you threw up uh, that got a lot of discussion and conversation still continues to be talked about is the empty chair. Uh, you talk about it on the campaign trail some, and um, I'm curious to know um, how you decided to put it on the air. That's a very personal thing to talk about in a in a campaign. So I'd like to for you to take us into the, uh, the the decision to put it on the air, the reaction to it, and and you're continuing to to talk about it today. Talk to us about the empty chair. Well, after I had traveled just a couple of my kitchen table to- stops, there was not one stop that families were not coming up to me and talking about either it was a child, it was a spouse, a grandparent, Mm -hmm. someone they knew that had addiction problems. And, you know, I kind of kept that to myself when I was with them. Shame on me. Because I, I... I could feel their heart, but I couldn't really tell them why I could feel it. So I reached out to my child and said, here's what I'm hearing. And I can help people more if I can know they know that I feel their pain. So I started talking about the empty chair. And that empty chair is when that child is sitting in that chair or that loved one because they're so high on whatever their addiction is, that they're really not there. Mm-hmm. And then that empty chair is, is when they run away from home or when you, you have them arrested and you have them put in either jail or juvenile detention. That empty chair happens at the grandparents' house because that child is their favorite grandchild and that child isn't there. It happens in their classroom because you've had to withdraw that child from school or they've just dropped out. I had to talk about it because if I could help save one child, one family, that's what I'm here for. Were you surprised at the criticism 
that came to you in the initial aftermath of it? Uh, you know, you had Democrats attacking you, some Republicans, I think, attacking you over it. Uh, did, did it shock you that people uh, were critical of your decision to insert that into the campaign? No, because I've been listening to people at their tables. I have visited jail cells. I have visited juveniles. I've been in rehabs. You know, from a personal level, I've been in the rehab. You know, I was with was there with my child. Yeah. You know, as parent week. And I was with her, in juvenile detention. No. Nothing was going to stop me, from trying to help other families. And one thing I I, I did discover that I've really never shared with anybody is that when these these parents are single moms, dads, grandparents, whenever they just blame themselves and they're, you know, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, I did it wrong too. I failed at being a mom to that child too. So if I can just help people to understand where my failures were, maybe that will help them to understand it's okay. It's what we do today. It's how we make certain that that our children are educated. I mean, why do you think we have young adults shooting young adults? It all goes back to the family table. Yeah. It all goes back to us telling our children, your boys, you have responsibility, you have accountability. And you have consequences. So we have to go back to the family, to the table, to whomever your guardians are. We got to help to be able to give them all the necessary tools and resources to be able to parent these children. And then we have to make certain that the education, they have to have a quality education so that they graduate with skills and knowledge to reach their full potential to have a career. Because if you if you look at children, there's about six to seven things you, you should do, and you can almost guarantee your child will not get engaged in drugs. And that, you know, you want to make sure that they're engaged in, in their church or their synagogue on a regular basis. They need to be playing a sport because obviously then you care about your, your physical being. You know, you need to ask your children, where, where are you going on a Friday night and where are you going on a Saturday night? Because that shows them that you care. You need to check their homework. And you need to take them someplace, just the two of you. So there's a lot of, of just issues that I wasn't even aware of. And so if I can help educate families, whether it's a single mom, whether it's grandparents, whether it's a single dad, I've seen too many families, raise, too many kids raising themselves because of this drugs. I mean, this. so I've got to go back to this, this kindergarten teacher for a minute. So, so I'm asking her about these students that are sleeping half the day at their desk. Now, these are five-year-olds. She said, well, one of them is up feeding her baby sister the bottle throughout the night. This is a five-year-old feeding the baby. Because the mother is trafficking herself. Yeah. And then this look at the Craft Academy. It's a, it is the School of Excellence. It's a STEM school that my husband and I have partnered in a public-private partnership at Moorhead State University. We have a young woman who graduated from there three years ago. 
And she went from car to car, house to house, grandparents. He lived everywhere because she, her parents were either in jail or out on drugs. She's going to start medical school this fall. Mm. So if you give kids a foundation, if you give them a safe place to learn, then we can, we can lead them to success. And what is greater when you see your child or grandchild feel that first minute of, I did this? So that's why I talked about the empty chair. Thanks for sharing that personal story with us, Ambassador. Jared? Yeah, I, I want to say first, clearly, I, I think this is an emotional subject for you, which so I appreciate you sharing that with us. But I, I think it's become an all-too-unfortunate reality that probably everybody in this room doesn't have to go too far to find a cousin or you know, a, a sister's boyfriend or somebody who's you know caught up in this. I think many of us see it as probably one of the greatest you know threats to communities, and if not that one of the greatest limiting factors to success for some of these same communities. But I think we hear a lot of times about how bad this is and you know, it's only getting worse and fentanyl is only making things worse, but we're lost sometimes of those solutions, uh, whether it be prevention or treatment when it comes to this. I wonder for you, you know, both from a personal insight, you just mentioned some of those more like root Mm -hmm. cause type things we can do look, I think we'd all love to fix the single family household mm-hmm. problem, but that's going to mm-hmm. take, you know, however many years. As governor, what are some of those solutions? Are there pilot programs that you've seen in other states that have worked well? Is there just personal experiences where you say Kentucky needs to, you know, we need this in every major city center, those sorts of mm-hmm. programs where, you know, we can get people back on their feet, we can get them employed, because mm-hmm. I think the state really needs it. Well, there are some great programs in Kentucky and if you if you just look at if you're let's talk about um, juvenile detention. Mm-hmm. So you know we've all had a major problem in yeah. this state with juvenile detention. But when you go in, these are young adults. They're under eighteen or eighteen and under. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want them to be released because maybe the next time they come in, they're gonna they won't come into juvenile detention because they'll be an adult. So mm-hmm. then they'll go into the prison system or the jail system. We need to make certain that with these young adults, that we look to them and say, what is it that's so bad where you're going? How can we work with you before you leave juvenile detention for your mental health issues, for a pathway for your GED, or maybe perhaps get you back into high school? Do you have a place to live that is not your same playground and then around your same playmates. So I, I believe and I know that we have some of the best workers in these programs that also have the same desire. We just have to show these workers respect, and we need, we need to have more resources to place caring people, professionals, in, in the juvenile detention centers. And then let's look at the community on the outside. When a young adult, we've given them these tools They need to have a safety net. They can't be stigmatized. So whether it's placing them in a business that we've got a business community that will take them in to give them a chance for a job. I have met with so many businesses that restaurants, especially that are taking these young adults and giving them that second chance, that third chance. I believe in chances. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. in the, in the jails, I went into a woman's jail cell in Northern Kentucky and two of the women were going to be released on their misdemeanor charges. They didn't want to leave. 
Now, why do you think that is? They didn't have a place to go. Yeah, fought back and in the same. Nothing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. They couldn't even take Uber because they didn't, didn't have any money to me. How are they going to take Uber? Yeah. Right? We need to make certain before they leave the, the being incarcerated that we figured out a pathway because we've got some wonderful, wonderful halfway houses. We've got some great, great places that will take them and nurture them and help them either, A, get custody back of their kids, right? We've got a great drug court system that if if followed the guidelines, you can be successful. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But our rehabs, you're in there and you're clean and you've worked the system, but when you get out, you don't have a job because the business community isn't all in. We've got to have a full court press on this. We've got to have our business community. We've got to have our ministers engaged, our mentors, our coaches, our boys and girls clubs, everything that has to do with lifting up another person. We've got to figure out a way to help them have their records expunged because it's it's the expense. They don't have they don't have the income yet. Yeah. So let's help them have a a, a chance. And if you think about our workforce participation in this state, a lot of it has to do with drugs. Can't pass drug tests. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Significant right. barrier. Yeah. I mean, I know in the coal industry you have to have drug tests. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of industries now the owners are telling me, you know, if I, if, I, if I have a drug mandatory, if we have a drug test that's mandatory, we wouldn't have workers. Yeah, we couldn't open. Mm-hmm. No. No, and then you see workers. You know, I met with a man that owns a pizza place in, in Frankfurt. He said he had somebody just fall over on the job the other day because he was high. So then what's he have to do? He's out the expense of the ambulance, the hospital, trying to find a replacement immediately on the spot for that day. And then do you hire the person back? Do you not? Are they going to be clean? Are they not? So it's affecting it's affecting our, our education system. It's affecting our every, it's the fabric of Kentucky. Let me ask you about drugs and drug policy. <clears throat> Obviously, Kentucky just legalized medicinal marijuana mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. many years of, of debating it. There are some states out there that have or are about to or are considering going recreational, legalizing recreational marijuana. I assume this will be the next iteration of this debate in Kentucky. Could happen on the next governor's watch. What's your view on that? I am absolutely not in favor of the medicinal marijuana because I do not see any difference between the medicinal marijuana and the recreational marijuana when it's in the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to take away from one second anyone who is suffering debilitating pain or someone who's terminal. But we have to make certain that we keep medicinal marijuana used now that it's it's our law mm-hmm. not something i would have pursued yeah we have to follow those guidelines we have to engage our law enforcement because they're they're very concerned they understand if this is in the wrong hands especially minors then all there it's the same thing as recreational i mean it is a gateway are you surprised that so many Republicans ended up endorsing this? I was very surprised. But at the same time, I think, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I chose my running mate. Did, did you he talk? He was pressured. I mean, I'm sure he, he was pressured to, to, you know, maybe stand down. But, you know, he, he just said, I can't do this. And you're, you're speaking to a mom mm-hmm. and a grandmother of 12 
And I know from personal experience what that does. Did you talk with any of the members of the General Assembly to express your opposition to it before they passed it and encourage them not to? No. You knew who I spoke to? Kentuckians called me. Mm -hmm. Every day, Kentuckians that I've been meeting with, a lot of ministers, people that I had sat down with and given them my word, and I said, my word hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And when it passed, you know, what we have to do as a community, we have to make certain that we make sure we engage the law enforcement to help us. We engage our coaches, our mentors. Everybody has to help us to make certain that medicinal marijuana does not get into the wrong hands. Because we, you know, you look at minors, you know what that does to their brain development? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have, now that we have it, we're going to have to really stand firm on the guidelines and the checklist and make certain people understand the rules. Yeah, I'm afraid. Toothpaste may be out of the tube. Unfortunately, <laughs> mm-hmm, we may mm-hmm, we may wind up mm-hmm. regretting this. I guess we'll mm-hmm. see in the in the years ahead. Um, I want to say you're listening to Flower of a Country mm-hmm. with Scott Jennings. Jared Crawford is here. Kevin Grout is here, and you are listening to the voice of Kelly Craft, former United Nations ambassador and current Republican candidate for governor. I'd like to talk to you, uh, switching gears a bit, about the Republican Party. You're running as a Republican in a primary. You have a number of opponents, but you're, in my opinion, a unique person in this state because. Uh, You've seen so. You've served so many Republican leaders. You and I knew each other back in the aughts uh, when you were a delegate to the United Nations under George W. Bush. Uh, you uh, worked hard to try to elect Mitt Romney. You worked very hard to try to elect Donald Trump uh, a couple of times. Uh, I mean, you really have uh, been a supporter of people from all corners of the Republican Party. Um, as you're out moving around and in your own experience, I was wondering if you could reflect on how the Republican Party has changed during your sort of political service mm-hmm. and how that has informed your campaign so far. Do you see new and different kind of Republicanism out there? Or how, how do you see that? And then on top of it, are you the person who can unify the party when you think about the different wings that, that make up today's modern GOP? Well, first of all, you know, if, if, if you're choosing between citizens and bureaucrat or citizens in the establishment, I'm going with the citizens of Kentucky. So I'm serving the citizens. And I worked tirelessly, my husband and myself both, for George W. Bush, for Mitt Romney, tirelessly for Donald Trump, not once, but twice. There were no harder workers than Joe and Kelly Craft. And as you well know, Scott, the second time around, there were very few of us left that stepped up to work for Donald J. Trump because we believed in him. I served under him. I can tell you, I can tell you every day how he kept our country safe because we no longer are the superpower in a lot of other countries' minds. And every day, all he thought about was keep this country safe and you fight for this country. And so I fight for candidates tirelessly who will uphold our Constitution, who protect our Constitution and our guarantees. I take this very seriously. And also, with George W. Bush, I can tell you there is not a finer person as you and I both got our starts underneath him. And just to hear the stories, you know, when I first went to the U.N., before I went, I went down and and I met with, with former President Bush because his father also served as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, and you said, you know what, Kelly, if you just 
if you just focus on some of the small countries, and just bear with me because you'll understand where I'm coming back to. If you focus on the small countries like my dad did, and just show them that they're important. And some of these countries you've never heard of, to be quite honest. So when you when you when you first are in your first day, first week of office at the as a UN ambassador, you have a list of countries that you are to meet with. He goes, Meet with these countries. So of course I did. I met with a lot of the countries in Africa and they were just shocked. They got a phone call from the US ambassador. They'd never even had a phone call, much huh. less an invitation to meet. So if you if you take that and you apply that to being in Kentucky, that's why I'm doing the kitchen table tour. It's because people don't expect me to show up at the local cafe, at the countertop at the pharmacy, yep. and just listen. And it's amazing. Like I said, when you listen, it's amazing what people will tell you. Let me ask you about Trump. You served under him. Mm-hmm. You got two appointments from him. And obviously, you've had good things to say about him. You had him at the Kentucky Derby last year uh, and helped him raise money in in what then was a predicted campaign and now an actual campaign for president. He endorsed Daniel Cameron in this campaign. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Were you surprised when it happened? And what do you think the overall impact of Donald Trump is on this primary in May? So I think I think let's go back to when I my husband and myself worked tirelessly to get him elected. So there was no one who worked as hard. There was like a group of 10 couples that just worked night and day because we believed in his policies. We believed in tearing up NAFTA. We believed in making certain that we kept jobs at home in the United States. We believed in energy independence, which keeps our country safe. It was that work ethic that he recognized very early on which is why I earned his respect, and I earned, when he asked me, would you serve as the first female ambassador to Canada? Because I know your work ethic, and I know, and as you well know, there was no love lost between the prime minister of Canada and our president. Yeah. So he knew that I would be able to handle, in a very diplomatic way, he watched me. And then because of that work ethic in Canada, and standing up for our country, and you know, I'm a little selfish here, bringing jobs to the state of Kentucky. <laughs> that then he asked me to serve at the UN, and it was that work ethic. And we will, we we would work that hard again to make certain that we elect someone who is going to stand to protect our Constitution and its guarantees. I mean, I take that very seriously. Donald Trump did not make a choice in his endorsement. I was not in the race. It was several months, several months later. And we, we, you know, we had our derby guest, and he joined us. And it was a delightful time, but there was never, there was not a discussion because I wasn't in the race. So he is, he is a friend. He understands that I know how he kept this country safe. And like I said, we were energy independent. We were taking back our jobs from China making certain that that Mexico, you know, we were the first ever to have the labor value content law in NAFTA, in the USMCA, which means that Mexico, we set a minimum, minimum wage of $16 an hour. So that kept workers in Mexico. So we were able to export goods and services, not not people, Mm -hmm. right? We had our border secure. You know, the remain in Mexico policy, 
Look, we've got a fence around the governor's mansion, the people's house in Frankfurt. Yeah. We have a wide open border. I mean, it's wide open. It is so easy to get across that border. If Donald Trump's the nominee in 2024, you'll support him again? If he is the nominee, absolutely. I will do everything as we did before if he's the nominee to make certain because I know what his policies are. I know how he kept this country safe. And let me tell you, if you sit in that Security Council and you sit across from people that want nothing more than to take the superpower status from our country, which means Kentucky will not be safe, we don't have anybody waiting in the wings. This is not a Broadway play. There's not somebody behind the curtain waiting to come out and take our place. Mm. We've got China. We've got the Chinese Communist Party. They're already buying up our farmland. Do you want them to come and take over our country? No. We have to elect a president that is going to stand on American values. And we have to elect a governor that is going to stand on Kentucky values, making Kentucky great again. And that's what I plan on doing. Jared. Yeah, I want to go back a little bit to to Scott's question about kind of, you know, where the GOP is here in Kentucky. You keep uh, touching this book here and, and it keeps making me think one of the criticisms that that I that I hear and I hate is when they say you know all Republicans care about right now are these quote unquote cultural issues and to me that book being in a classroom is not a cultural issue that's an education issue mm-hmm. that's a workforce issue and it all sort of ties together I wonder when you're sort of out on on the campaign trail and you know you hear from kindergarten teachers who may be concerned about you know content or or things like that, where that sort of blend of, you know, is China a cultural issue or is it a competitive issue? Is it sort of an economic issue? Where that sort of, where you sort of see that that blend between weighing in onto the more sort of hot topic issues of the day versus these more long-term issues around, you know, the economy or the workforce, what are people sort of saying to you? You know, if you're, that's a, that's a, several questions there. There's a lot in there. <laughs> right, yes. right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. So I have a lot of people very concerned about China purchasing Kentucky farmland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's a real concern, especially with everybody understanding the Chinese balloon mm-hmm. and the fact that, yeah. you know, it, it did, I believe, touch the border of Kentucky. But what they're concerned about, you know, they're not like there's no name calling. There's there's it's such such civility. Mm-hmm. People are concerned about their children and their grandchildren. And making certain that our government, they want to make certain that our government is efficient, meaning we can do more with less, that it's effective, and that there's accountability. So then we have accountability. These people want to know that I'm going to demand the accountability so that I know where it went wrong and we can have a course correction. So they're 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 really don't they're not concerned about anything but Kentucky values, mm-hmm. the values that they grew up on, right? Yeah. The kitchen table, the values that they want their children to have a better life than they have. And I'm not running for this election. I'm running for those generations, that they're, ta- they're generations of children, because what is more important than our kids and grandkids? Well, you sort of lean into this, too, with your latest ad, if you want to talk a little bit about that. And and. Let's make, some of it was maybe hyperbolic or meant to have sort of a, a bit of a reaction to it and the way it was uh, presented. But again, I think for people watching that, 
the the idea is what when our kids go to school there's too much of this you know woke sort of bureaucratic nonsense and not abcs and and one two threes right um and and again i think it's seen as kind of a cultural issue but really you're talking about our kids in the classroom and what they're learning right Absolutely. And if you think about our, our, our workforce participation and the future of our state. So if, if, you, if, if we don't start introducing, let's just say, freshmen in high school. Scott, I don't know how old your youngest. I've got a freshman, freshman going all right, in the fall. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> if we can take our freshmen in high school, look at Paducah Tillman. I mean, I've visited all of these different traditional, these, uh, excuse me, trade schools, you know, career centers. If we can if we can introduce our freshmen in high school, if your son is introduced to a pathway that's going to fulfill his interest, so whether that is a two-year community college, whether it is a trade, a master trade certificate from a technical college, whether it's a four-year college degree, that way when they become seniors, it it's not a last resort. Mm-hmm. It is their choice to fulfill their interest. And I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate when you choose Jefferson County Community College or you choose Russellville Technical School or you choose Paducah Tillman Innovation Lab. We celebrate that like it's a UK basketball scholarship because it's going to be your choice. And we, we can't do that if you're teaching left ideologies. Mm-hmm. I've never seen yeah. anyone get into West Point by the critical race theory test. <laughs> yeah. I see them. I see people being accepted into programs because they have values, yeah. because they understand they have to work hard to achieve their degree. Mm-hmm. There is nothing better than going into these welding shops and sitting down with young adults, one of which graduated from Barron County High School on a Wednesday, and he was able to attend throughout high school the technical program. He is a welder. He graduates on a Wednesday, gets a job on a Friday, has no school debt, is able to buy a house. Now he has a family. How rewarding is yeah. that? So he's staying in our communities, mm-hmm. right? We, yes. have a, we have a real problem with our young adults staying home in the communities or coming back. Well, if we can give them opportunities and a workforce and a safe environment and to know that they've got a really strong, small business community. I mean, Scott, look at Toyota. Don't you think the Japanese executives came in here first before they made a decision? By the way, that was a female governor, Martha Lane Collins. Mm -hmm. And don't you think that they made that decision by asking questions in Georgetown and around the surrounding counties? So do you have quality schools for our, our family? Do you have recreational activities on the weekends, like, you, you know, ATV trails, bike trails? Do you have churches? Is there affordable housing here? Do you have, like, a law enforcement that's going to keep us safe? Do you respect your law enforcement? And then they make a decision. So how does that decision made? It's made because you've got a strong business community. You've got a strong small business community. You've got – you have to have – your community strong before we can attract the industry. I mean, if we don't, we can't bring our young adults. I mean, I'm going to be selfish. I would love nothing more for my my girls to live here. Joe and I would love nothing more for our kids to live here. 
really, we really want the grandkids here. <laughs> so you want to do whatever it takes. I mean, I know as a mom and a grandmother, I would do whatever it takes, but they have to have opportunities to come back to. Kevin Grout. Last week, Emerson College released a new mm. poll. Uh, you shot up in the polls, I think almost tripling uh, your support. Um, what do you do to close the gap to get to first place? You know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not reading polls. I'm meeting people, and I'm going to – but that morning of the poll, you know, I did the same thing the night before the poll, the week before. I've been doing it since September the 7th, my announcement, and I'll do it again tomorrow. I'll be in Bullitt County. I'll do the same thing. I'm going to keep my head down and work hard and meet as many Kentuckians at their tables as I possibly can. This is, I'm going to I'm going to dig on this one a little mm-hmm. bit here. Is it vindication though that that is working? You have run probably the most ambitious campaign here, both in terms of of spending and ads, your kitchen table tour. You know, you're going to keep the blinders on and keep going, but it's sort of like my message is resonating. You know, the the issues that I'm hearing and talking about more, it's sort of I'm connecting with more people. Is it a little bit of indication that you're doing the right thing? No, it's an indication. It's an indication of where Kentucky wants to be. It's an indication that they have someone that they know is a results-driven leader that's going to listen to them because I've been there. And I'm not going to sit behind a desk when I'm elected. I'm going to be out there reaching as many people I mean, I might have a different license plate. I will say that. I will change my license plate. All the license <laughs> plates are going to have coal license plates. I, that, that I will do. No Team Kentucky license no, plates. No, it's going to have yeah. coal keeps the lights on. There Friends of coal, are you right. kidding me? Yeah. We've got just a few minutes left. Um, it looks like, based on the latest polling, you have moved into a very, very close second place with Cameron, who's been the front runner from the beginning. Uh, Ryan Quarles, the ag commissioner, is in third place, but several points behind. Why don't you give us the case? Why Kraft and not Cameron and not Quarles? Listen, everyone, they're all very decent people. They just can't get the job done. And why is that? Because everything I've talked about I've created, I've created jobs. As a family, we have created thousands of jobs. I know how to create jobs and opportunities for the state of Kentucky. Scott, you know me well. Whenever my husband and I look for opportunities, we look, where can we place an opportunity that's going to create jobs for people? Where can we, you know, where can we invest in our state that we know is going to be helping people? I mean, we sit at our kitchen table every day. We did this morning, and we have this conversation. You know, Joe will say, Kelly, what are we going to do today to make the lives of Kentuckians better? So everything I've talked about, there's no one that stands with the coal industry like Kelly Craft. There's no one that understands the importance of talking to a single parent struggling with do I pay my electric bill or do I buy groceries there's no one that understands the importance of a child's education my mom was a teacher and we created the craft academy we've created opportunities at Alice Lloyd College we believe in giving young adults a quality education to reach their full potential and there's no one that's had that personal experience with drugs I've never run for political office. Like I said, I'm not running for this election. I'm running for generations. I see a job that needs to be done. No one owns me. 
no special interest. When I'm in the governor's office, Kelly Craft will be running this state, not the Washington establishment, because every single day I'm taking with me the conversations that I've had since September 7th, and I'm going to fight for every single Kentuckian because what I talk about is what I've done. So I will ask Kentuckians to do nothing that I haven't already done and that I will not do with them. Kelly Craft, former ambassador to the United Nations, former ambassador to Canada, great philanthropist. <laughs> Thank you for being on Flower of a Country. We appreciate your time great today. Great fun. Thank you all. Great Thank fun. You very Thanks, much. guys. Thank you. Thank you. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.